Hi, this is Roger McGuinn, and my favorite station is WMNF, Tampa, Florida. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I said it's all right. Good morning. Hello, and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa. 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. I am the host today by myself, Annie Ellis, and uh, my co-host, Kenny Coogan, uh, will be back next week, and we will listen to his, about his adventures. I can't wait to hear it. And today, uh, we are talking with Andrea Nokulai. Right? Oh, I said it right. A public health nutritionist and uh, Luis Rodriguez, extension agent uh, for small farms. And they're both from the UF IFAS extension of Polk County. And today, our subject is growing, cooking, and eating uh, a healthy food. So if you want to be part of this conversation, Please give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at and we will read it on the air. We love to be able to uh, get your questions so we, uh, you know, can give you the answers that you want. Uh, that's our whole objective is to help people out there in Radio Land. So I want to welcome in person, live to the studio, Andrea and Lewis. Thanks. Hi. Hi. Glad you're here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having us. It's so much better in person, isn't it? Yes. I love it. Yes. <laughs> Andrea's been on the show before, but she was doing a Zoom. And, well, that was when we had to do Zooms, right, <clears throat> back in the day. And so it's just lovely to have human beings. <laughs> Besides Bill, I love to see Bill every day or every Monday, but it's nice to have some other folks in here. I love it. So I want to introduce you uh, to them, uh, about them, uh, to you guys. Excuse me. <coughs> I do know I have a cough button somewhere. Here it is. <laughs> I just <laughs> used it my first time. <laughs> okay. So Andrea Nikolai has a master's in public health nutrition, is a registered dietitian nutritionist, and works with the University of Florida in Polk County as the family and consumer science agent. She works to help individuals and families to improve their health and find solutions for their lives to make healthy choices the easy choice and to show others how eating healthy can be delicious and fun. And I think her tagline right now is med instead of meds, and that would be the Mediterranean diet. Yes. Yes. And now I would go ahead and introduce Luis. Um, Luis Rodriguez is the UFIFAS Small Farms and and we're going to talk a little bit about this pesticide education extension agent. You know, that gets me going. Uh, <laughs> Polk County. The agent has a master's and bachelor's in animal science from the University of Puerto Rico, Mayaguez. Mayaguez, yes. Oh, very good. Campus. He is responsible for developing, implementing, and evaluating educational programs for UFIFAS Polk County small farms and alternative enterprises. In some areas of his specialization are animal science, small farm crop production, beekeeping, farm safety, small business, small farm business development, agrotourism, 
and again, that old pesticide application training. Uh, and, and this one I like is the integrated pest management because that's a different way of managing it. And then the green industry best management practices. So today, since they're both here, but they're kind of separated in what they are specialized in, we're going to go with Andrea first. And I've invited uh, Luis, if he does have something to say about it, to jump on in. So we're going to go with that. And uh, so we started out. I have some questions for Andrea. And uh, the first one is, what is med instead of meds? And then also, what is the Mediterranean diet? So the med instead of meds, um, it's a class that I'm actually teaching right now, and it's helping people figure out how they can use the Mediterranean diet instead of a medication because the Mediterranean diet is a really great way of eating. So Mediterranean diet, good news, it's not a fad diet, so that's really nice. <laughs> it's not <laughs> eggs and grapefruit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're actually a variety of foods, um, and it's actually a sustainable way of eating, kind of why we're talking about it on the show. And it's simple, delicious, and satisfying, and it's based on the dietary traditions of the countries that surround the Mediterranean Sea, okay. and they have the similar climates. Um, and they eat different dishes, but the basics of them all are the same. So it's that North Africa, and then like we always think of Mediterranean, like Greece and Italy, but it's right. all of those actually. Um, but so yeah. that's the the big part about that I'm getting is it's the food that they grow there. Yeah, is you that know, well? It was in the mid um, well, so 20th century, so like the 1940s, they were figuring out that these people were living longer, even though they didn't have, despite they had limited access to health care. And so oh. it was really cool because they were living longer than other Europeans. And this guy named Ansel Keys, he figured it out and he was looking at it and studied it. And then he attributed it to the diet and he was okay. figuring, then they kept testing it. And now there's been thousands of studies and it's just something that seems really solid, which is really nice in our, you know, very diet society, but something that can help with, um, I guess maybe we talk about that, but almost everything. It's really great. Yeah. So. You know, I, do you remember those commercials when they had the uh, the ancient people that ate yogurt? And they had like, there was a commercial on television. This is a silly, I'm dating myself. It was probably when I was really a kid uh, and I'm ancient myself. So I eat yogurt. But, <laughs> but they were saying that the yo it was probably a yogurt company. And they were saying that eating that was really keeping them young. So I don't know. I don't yeah, know they took it. it on, right? <laughs> yeah, they did. They used that and ran with it. So, so if I am going to do the Mediterranean diet, which I do, by the way, that's how I eat anyway, uh, what would it do for me? And then why should I care about that? Oh, Gosh, I have to say, okay, so I was looking up extra research about this just because I wanted to have some good answers. But, you know, here's what just some of the things that it can do. Lengthen your life, improve brain function. It looks like it can help against Alzheimer's, defend it from oh. chronic diseases. The big one is heart disease. That's the one like we know solid and certain. Fight certain cancers, lower your risk of heart disease, high blood pressure, and elevated bad cholesterol. Protect from diabetes, aid in weight loss and management efforts, keep away depression, um, that Alzheimer's disease, I mentioned that, ward off against Parkinson's disease, wow. improve rheumatoid arthritis, improve eye health, reduce risk of dental disease, help you breathe better, healthier babies, improve fertility, and then a couple of fun ones that I just found. Also, there's like a lots of studies, right? But um, one of the studies that says, quote, in Mediterranean diet may be linked with fewer deaths related to air pollution. And what? then following a Mediterranean diet inspired, or a Mediterranean inspired diet linked 
with 30% lower risk of hearing loss in women. So that's so funny. Fun things. So that tells me there's so much brain function with all of that, right? Because then the brain's the biggest part of the whole, yeah. you know, human system. And what's good for our heart, good for our brain, and yeah. then both of them. So, so what's the solid. thing about the air pollution? Did you? That's funny. Do we <laughs> I know, breathe I better? Into it. They were so okay. <laughs> So those people, they looked at all the people and those most closely, excuse me, following a Mediterranean diet were significantly less likely to die from all causes and heart disease specifically over the 17-year study period than those not following a Mediterranean diet, even at the same level of air pollution exposure. Oh, okay. So So that was, that's what it is, is that we're just so improved by it. So yeah, maybe it's not the actual... Yeah, I'm I mean, thinking it's just not associated, but <laughs> right. I like it though. It got my attention for fun. sure. <laughs> so, uh, but it's just yeah. So it's just going to make our lungs better and uh, all of those things. So yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's cleaner. It's a cleaner diet. And um, so, what are those? Uh, like, if we are to do the Mediterranean diet, what would be the key principles? And what are the foods that we would eat? Well, the cool or not thing eat, about it is that they're not like special foods. You know, you don't have to go out and buy like a special... The, med- the package of Mediterranean. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's a really plant-based um, diet. And that's like a lot of the different diets that we've found that really work. Like there's even an American one, but just it's usually more plant-based and less animals. And so eating lots of fruits and vegetables is one tenet. So lots of different colors, sizes, whole grains having whole grains when you can, beans and legumes, so like lentils and peas, and then fish and seafood, you know, about two to three times a week, and then having nuts and seeds, those are really good to have as snacks instead of maybe reaching for something in the package, and then um, using herbs and spices, and drinking red wine in moderation, that one's optional, everybody has individual alcohol things, Um, and then just uh, some other basic tenets that make it kind of really cool is just physical activity, you know, doing things that you enjoy throughout the day um, to move and then enjoying your meals and, you know, kind of with others and just having fun and limiting added sugar. That's interesting because like what you're just saying is just, it's a more relaxed atmosphere, right? Yeah. Or it's just incorporated that way. It's just, Mm -hmm. you're eating stuff that, you know, mostly fruits and vegetables, mostly plants, and then you're having some animal stuff thrown in as like, you know, maybe the garnish, the seasoning, Mm -hmm. you put beef in your vegetable stir fry. Um, Yeah, instead of it being like the main course. Yeah, that's, you know, I don't eat, I, I do eat meat a little bit, but very, very little. And uh, but really rarely. I would never purchase it or anything like that. But I don't make a big deal if it's somebody has something in some food. I, you know, I just eat around it, really. But but um, most people, that is what they do. They get meat is the main course and a lot of it large amount, not just the palm of your hand, which is what I understand is the good directive on the size of a piece of meat that you would eat, the palm of your hand, then you, um, then they put a starch, right? And maybe a green thing on the side, like a green bean. But a lot of people, they'll put corn, which is... Starchy also, yeah. Yeah, or potato salad, which is... Start you also. Yeah, we're good with those. We got those. And yeah. Then, so the idea with that even would be, you know, choosing the whole grains when you can. And potato would be a good starch option. Just sometimes what we put it with it might not be the best, but 
like in the Mediterranean diet, they use olive oil as their main fat. So that's one oh, I see, other yeah. thing to do. So yeah. just to reduce the animal aspect of it. Yeah. yeah. So they're using, and it seems to me too, it's like, you know, they are using what is there. So that would be good for them. Right. Right. But it's looking like with all the studies, we found it's pretty good for a lot of people. For everybody. So, yeah. They did it, you know, sometimes I think people think it's kind of a white European diet. And it's really interesting. You know, it is North African is um, half of the basics. And they've studied, you know, how um, people, you know, Hispanics and blacks and other well, Italians are a little brown, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, it's not, it's for everybody and it can really help. So that's yeah. why I'm talking about it. Yeah, I'm glad. I love the the title when you told me about it, med, you know, instead of meds. I thought that was a great idea. Uh, you know, and, and just to let y'all know, uh, Andrea sent me some recipes because I'm a big cook. You know, I used to, I used to be a chef on a yacht, by the way. But uh, I... Uh, made a, a recipe that she did and it, or she sent me but of course I modified it of course I did <laughs> have you met me she added all, all this butter <laughs> yeah no I did not <laughs> but I do like butter uh, but I get the good stuff you know what I mean like I get the best Irish butter that I could get uh, so but I made this onion tomato garlic eggplant, which I got from a friend. I got eggplants, and I grew some too. And then fresh basil from my garden. And then I put in sliced green olives because I wanted to have a little salty bend to the sweet of the tomato. I approve. So, and then the onion, you know, I like to cook it a little bit to where it's uh, sugarized, you know, it's uh, caramelized a little bit. So, but then what I did is I, instead of using spaghetti, for my base, as using that as a sauce, I did a spiralized um, zucchini. And so I don't know if you guys have ever heard about the spiralizer. It sounds like a Ginzu knife commercial, but <clears throat> it's a little tool that you push the, uh, they have electric ones, uh, but, they, but they also have just a hand tool, which is what I have. And you just push the zucchini in and you turn it and it comes out, looks like spaghetti, look like, uh, like a rounded spaghetti. It's fantastic. And um, that's how I use it. I use it instead of spaghetti. So, but then I've also put Bruges yeast uh, as my cheese flavoring, you know, because it's really high in B vitamins and so on. And then I used a little bit of Parmesan cheese to make it feel Italian. Yeah, I got you know? that for the seasoning or the flavor, right? Yeah. Using that cheese as the flavor instead of the main. Exactly. <laughs> and I, that's, Heavy cheese sauce. <laughs> that's what you're talking about, right? Right, exactly. And then, you know, just thinking about it too, you know, you're talking about eggplant and stuff. And I just want to tell people it definitely does not have to be like your typical, you don't have to go to a Mediterranean restaurant to eat the Mediterranean way. It's just heavy fruits and vegetables and plant-based foods, you know, using olive oil when you can. So you could go to a, like a Chinese restaurant or you could eat, um, uh, let's see, uh, Ethiopian or Ethiopian, uh, right. you know, yeah. and just they're all can be or Indian in the mate. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Very good. So eating that Mediterranean idea and that would have the same benefits is that really just those foods and, and the combination of those, you know, too, they were saying, you know, you get the diet or get the benefits with by, you know, encompassing the whole thing because putting those nutrients together creates a synergy that they all work off of each other better, like the olive oil, helps you absorb um, the lycopene in tomatoes. 
Oh, so it's like I you know, know that. having things together, like in having all these things together, can be the best versus just picking out like, oh, I'll just switch to olive oil and that's it. I'll still eat bacon, you know. <laughs> right. I don't know. I'll just fry my bacon fine. in olive oil. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they're just saying, you know, pouring something on, you know, something else. Or that's funny. Just, so I did not know that. Is there uh, are there some other combinations that work like that? Like I love that. I did not know that it allows you to absorb the lycopene with the olive oil. Because I use olive oil. I get the best olive oil I can get. I get the fresh squeeze from uh, uh, Joe and Son's um, store. They oh. get it in from all over the world. And it's uh, they have it labeled from when it was uh, pressed and where it was pressed from. It's amazing the fla- different ones you can get. That's they, really cool. Each place has a different taste element to it. We talk about the olive. Yeah. Yes, like kind of like wine, right? Exactly. It, which is really neat. And they let you taste it. That is cool. It is cool. I think um, the other thing, just in classes, you know, sometimes I think people get hung up and they think they have to buy the most expensive olive oil, but not necessarily just if you can buy it with a opaque or like not clear container, because then like light and heat are the things that um, that olive oil causes the <laughs> causes it to go bad faster. Oh, so that's okay. why if you can get it like in a green bottle or a dark <laughs> bottle and then just what you said, looking at that date can be really helpful too. And looking for extra virgin olive oil because that is the first pressed and it has the antioxidants. There the you go. So that's what people mean when they're reading about virgin olive oil, first pressed, and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think that's confusing for people oh, when they yeah. go into a store. There's so much in front of them. They don't really know how to pick it. And the just olive oil, you know, if it just says olive oil, that's fine too. It's um, probably good for baking because it doesn't have as much of those that flavor then. Oh, I got it might you. have less antioxidants. So, you know, using the extra virgin when you can would be great. I've never Um, used it in baking before. It's fun, right? So that's an option. So I guess if you're eating the Mediterranean, like if you're having muffins, it calls for butter, but you Uh can switch it out. Wow. You're really getting me thinking because I I definitely throw in major tons of butter when I bake. (laughs) There's no doubt. that would be, yeah, something for you, I'd say, if you could go a little bit towards... Even half and half would make a difference, wouldn't it? Yes, Exactly. Uh, would the would the if you used olive oil instead of the butter, how would you measure that? It's true. Um, usually, when you have like a cup of butter, it's a little bit less of yeah, the oil because it's more dense. Or yeah, it's yeah, you got okay. it. Okay, so that um, yeah, so maybe starting half and half, seeing how your recipe goes, um, and then That's not good quite idea. substituting it one by one, but just a little bit less on the oil. Oh, I think my phone just, I didn't put my phone on to... Uh, she was dead. telling us to do I it. I know, I tell everybody, do what I say, not what I do, right? <laughs> That's funny. She does have a cough button. I do, now I know. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're kind of close to the middle. So is there anything else that you wanted to talk? Oh, we want to talk about really quickly about that resistant starch because I think that's so interesting. You want to talk about that just a little bit? I guess we can. Yeah. We just, I looked it up and I discovered it somehow and she knew a little bit about it. So she looked it up. So I just want to talk about that a little bit. You want to, you want to begin or? You go ahead. Okay. Let's see what you found. Okay. So what I read was uh, resistant starch with pasta and rice. And and then she brought up probably with potatoes as well, because it's a very starchy thing. I wonder if corn would even do it. <clears throat> but anyway, to give your pasta an even bigger health boost, you cook it, you chill it, and then you reheat it. This is becoming a cooking show. It's funny. And this uh, creates something called resistant starch. And so it's a type of starch that's resistant 
to digestion. And that sounds weird because you go, well, don't you want to digest your food? But what this does is it acts like a fiber and it passes through the GI tract. And the, the benefits are lower insulin sensitivity, lower blood sugar levels, and reduced appetite and improved digestion. Yeah, I read about it too, uh, and I've been reading a lot. I think it's um, it's really exciting. I thought it was really cool when I found it out. And so basically what you would do then is like you make spaghetti and, you know, you have spaghetti. But then the next day, if you have leftovers, it's been in the fridge and then it comes out and it's reheated and then it's going to have that resistant starch. So like potato salad or pasta salad, it's the cooking and then the chilling creates it. Um, I'm not sure exactly how, but I have read... Some studies, I was very excited about it. And then just kind of saying, maybe we got a little bit ahead of ourselves and we're not sure like down Mm -hmm. the road, like, you know, is that resistant starch actually changing health outcomes? Mm -hmm. So I want it to be a good thing and people talk about it in my classes, but (laughs) it's really cool. And so I feel like it has promise though. Uh So it is resistant. So, you know, the harder to absorb blood sugar, right? Right. So it makes sense. But it does I think make sense. The studies were just like, whoa, whoa, just a second. Right. So. Let's bring this to your attention yeah. and let's do some more studies. So more studies. Well, you know, it does do, It does to me though, and I'm not a scientist, but I kind of think that way sometimes because my brain works in that operation. But it's uh, it would change the cell structure because, you know, you're heating, it's yeah. changing, then you're chilling, it's changing, then you're reheating, it's changing. So, and then... You know, I know that a lot of times the nutritional value of things got less as you do that. But so that might make a difference as well. Actually, some proteins, if you uh, heat it more, they it goes into a process that's called denat- denaturalization. I'm pretty sure I pronounced that correctly. And it basically breaks down the proteins. So the more heat you have, then the protein denaturalize and then the nutritional values decrease. So that's why they say do not uh, like cook your food super hot or stuff like that if it's a high-protein food because those proteins can denaturalize because of that. Well, now, uh, now you say it breaks it down. So you say it's nutritionally not as good, but is it easier to digest? It depends because depending on how it breaks down, when the, the body will absorb it in different ways. Right. And if you want that specific protein, mm-hmm. then you want to absorb that specific protein. You don't want that protein to break down into uh, other compounds. Oh, I see what you're saying. So yeah. like if you're going to eat that, eat the best part of it in yes. the best way you can manage it. Exactly. And that was Lewis. Yes. So, <laughs> I've been quiet. <laughs> yeah, no, he's great. You're great. Uh, I'm glad you jumped in because, you know, quite honestly, it's uh, the same. Uh, we're about the same time to jump in for you to talk. Okay. So, uh, Luis, I'll just review. Uh, he is uh, the UFIFAS small farms um, uh, agent. And uh, so we're just going to talk about farms and so on and things like that. So my first question for you, what is considered a small farm? All right. So a lot of people think that uh, when they're thinking about a small farm, they immediately talk about size. Yes. Uh, and that's, that's what not, I do. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, for the most part, yes. But 90% of all farms here in Florida are basically considered small farms because it has to do mostly with how much the farmer is gaining annually. Uh, oh, so you mean small as far as uh, the amount of money? Revenue, yes. yes. So according to the USA, the United, uh, United States Department of Agriculture, a small farm is a farm that generates less than two fifty zero 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 annually on revenue. Oh, okay. 
So I say like that because I'm, I'm Hispanic and I'm, war, I'm bad with numbers in English. Oh. So I need to say the zeros. Uh, so I, I stood uh, $250,000 annually. So oh, you he, did it? Yeah, I did it there. <laughs> so if you um, generate less than that, then you're considered for the state as a small farm. So you could be a 200-acre farm and still be considered a small farm. Oh, okay. So it's all about the generated income considered. Yes. That's interesting. I would have never thought about it that way. I would have, But then again, if they're not generating, that could just be that they're not using that area. Is that why? It depends. It's mostly on how much crops they're growing versus how much they're selling. And that's how they get their revenue for the most part. So if they're growing a lot and they're not selling it, why are they growing it? That's a good question. And a lot of farmers... And that's the next thing I'm going to be talking about because a lot of farmers uh, they never do what we call a farm business plan. Oh, right. And then some of them don't even know that they're basically uh, investing more money in production and not getting those outcomes they need to break even right. and actually make a profit. Right. So they're just keeping the wheels on. Exactly. That's what I call that. Because yes. I know in businesses, a lot of businesses are like that. I mean, I've had my own business my, my whole life. I've had my own business. And so if you're just, you know, being able to pay for the product that you've got to put in to do the next thing, yep. you're not making any money. You're not making You're just any putting money. it back into the machine, mm-hmm. you know, or if you have to pay people. And there's there's uh, many farmers that are in that same category as you mm-hmm. just mentioned. And that's why uh, I always tell to my farmers, because mostly I work with new beginner farmers. Um, so I tell them the first thing you need to do is to check your soil. Yeah. <laughs> because your soil will tell you how, what you can grow in there. And then after you know how your farm setting is built, then you need to do a farm business. And this farm business will help you to determine your production costs, how you can market your products, and what you can make a profit at the end. Right. And you can market your product in different ways. So many ways. Mm-hmm. So many ways. And so that's what that was interesting because, you know, I never thought about it that there's like a school for this. You know, for a school for you to be able to learn how to, uh, to be a farmer. Yes, uh, I actually myself provide classes as well. And then, uh, but there's also school from the university and other places that provide business classes to farmers uh, in order for them to understand all the things that we just talked yeah. about, how to make a profit, what are the production costs, how they can market their products and how they can get into that break even setting so they can then make a profit afterwards. So if someone is, how, how does this happen? I mean, you know, somebody's just uh, not in the farming inherited business, right? That they are just alone thinking about doing a farming. What, so how did they get started about thinking about doing farming for a living? Is that what you would suggest to go to schools? And, yes. Okay. The first thing I always tell them is to get the research, uh, know the local market, because if you are a new beginner farmer, you're probably going to be basically working mostly on the local markets. Mm-hmm. So look at what the people on the local market, they really want. Are they looking for organic products? Are they looking for a more conventional product? Are they looking for exotic fruits or other stuff? Uh, so, and then decide what you want to grow depending on your soil conditions and weather conditions on your own land. Right. And then 
you can get a business class. Uh, there's some business uh, people that actually get business certificate as well. So there's plenty of ways to to get this education. IFAS uh, uh, does the education, the university, uh, uh, throughout the agents. I did a business class a couple of months ago. I think it was um, April and May. Mm-hmm. It was a two-day class that I was teaching uh, participants how to do all these business aspects. So a SWOT analysis, I don't know if you know, if you know what a SWOT analysis is. A SWOT, SWOT analysis. analysis. No. So it's strange weakness, opportunity, and threats. Oh. So you can just have like a s- spreadsheet basically that you can put what are the strengths of your business, what are your, the weaknesses of your right. business, and what are the threats and what are the opportunities. In farming, weather is always a threat because you cannot control hurricanes and right. we live in Florida, so you need to prepare against hurricanes here in Florida. So that's always a threat for farmers. But there's always opportunity, like for example, right now, Avocados and mangoes are growing on the market in Florida uh, because we have more Hispanics. Because they're delicious. They're delicious too, I know. Good for you. <laughs> you know, I don't I like avocados. <laughs> I love avocado toast almost every day. Yes. Uh, but there's, um, there's demographics are changing, so there's more demand of avocados and mangoes nowadays than 20 years ago. Oh, that's interesting. So It's just broadened the market mm-hmm. because of people that, I mean, I never had a mango or an avocado when I was little, little in Mobile, Alabama. Me I don't think they Minnesota. <laughs> exactly. They weren't in the market. Come on. We didn't even know what that was. No. So, you know, to have that, uh, that's a really interesting point. You know, it's been broadened out. Yes. Probably, too, because, you know, we import food from so many different places as yes. well. And there's a market for people looking for locally grown food. So that's another opportunity. Very good point. Mm-hmm. Because we want to reduce our carbon uh, yes. input. Okay, so it, that's a that's another market to look at. That's a very good exactly. point. So if you're looking to uh, zone in on that or zoom in on that group that is going to want to just buy local, then you can be that producer. Exactly, and that's what's happening mostly with avocados because a lot of people that are looking for fresh produce they want locally grown avocados, and Florida, at least South Florida, is pretty much established in avocado production and now it's moving a little over here in central Florida. Yeah. The difference is that we need to use different cultivars that are a little more cold resistant than exactly. the, exactly. the ones that we use on South Florida. Well, and that's the same with the mangoes. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the same. You know, as long as you know which... There's so many cultivars, y'all. If mm-hmm. you didn't know, there are. I mean, we just had a mango tasting at the Rare Fruit Council and it was like, I don't know, a hundred different kinds, you know, maybe. I don't know if there was that many, but but it, there is at least that many varieties. We were just talking about that a little while ago as far as like uh, I have a dwarf mango tree and it's tiny and I only get a few mangoes on it, but it's perfect for me. Exactly. Right? So there's specific uh, cultivars that we use for specific uh, weather patterns. There are specific cultivars that we use uh, for different soil compositions. Like, for example, if you are in a well-drained soil, then you should use a specific cultivar than others and so on. And every single crop will have their own different cultivars. So the farmer needs to understand what is the best crop that they can grow. I always have questions about farmers that, hey, I want to grow this. And the first question I told them, have you do a soil sample? Right. Sometimes they ask me, what is that? 
Then I know. Oh, wow. I, I explained that. They're at step one, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> <So> <laughs> they are a new farmer. <laughs> yes, they, that's why I tell you. I know, mostly work with new beginner farmers. The old established farmers will know what a, yeah. source, a sample is and stuff like that. But uh, so that's basically what I do. I try to teach the farmers uh, the correct process in order to grow food. And not always what you're thinking is the best thing that you need to do in order to be successful as a farmer. Right. And, you know, uh, just while you're talking about that, uh, the do you guys provide uh, soil testing? Yes. Yes. I think all the extensions do uh, that you can just, they'll tell you how to do it. You contact them and they tell you how to do it because you don't just dig it in one spot and you, you know, do it in a certain way and mm-hmm. then you send it in and they'll give you the results. Yes. On, on our office in Port County, uh, we do it just for pH, which is the basically acidity of the soil. Mm-hmm. But the university on Gainesville, you can send the sample through mail and they will basically tell you a really good analysis. Oh, that's good. With recommendations. Or if you are, for example, thinking of growing blueberries, you can put that that's what the, the crop that you're trying to, to oh. grow and they will give you specific recommendations of how to fertilize and what are your nutrients that you're lacking and stuff like that. Oh, that's very good. And if you need to add lung in order to increase or lower the pH and stuff like that. So they do a really good analysis of the soil. Oh, that's really great. So that's a really good idea because so then you write down what your objective is and they fill in the blanks for you. Yes. That's a great idea. When you were talking about avocados, I was thinking too that, you know, that takes a while for that to produce. So like if people are going to be doing food for us like that, then they have to think about what they're going to produce that's going to be moneymaker now to be able to support them for what they're going to get later, yes. right? So normally citrus and avocados, you actually um, grow them. Um, they're called, uh, they're cultivars that basically they do, I forgot the name actually, but anyways, you can do multiple crops uh-huh. and then you can uh, grow your crops seasonal. Um, so, but the way that they do avocados and mangoes, they basically, uh, do I forgot the name, but that's okay. You have a tree and you add the other part of another tree, and then that makes it faster to grow the avocados. And oh, I don't graft. grafting, thank Yay. you. <laughs> I'm so sorry for no, the word. that's okay. I have the word in Spanish, but I, I forgot understand. The word in... I was not going to understand that word. That, that's nice, but, <laughs> but yeah, grafting. What is grafting in Spanish? Uh, injerto, injerto. So I <laughs> would not have gotten that at all. <laughs> So, yes, uh, avocados and citrus are grown by grafting, and yeah. that's how you can mangoes fast forward. Too. Mangoes, too, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's how you can fast forward. It's funny, when you see, uh, when you see people uh, that are dealing with that, uh, you know, they'll have like a frozen back tree, and then they'll have all these sprouts off the sides and go, oh, I have this new growth. You're like, oh, it's the rootstock. Yeah. That's not going to work. So <laughs> let's see. We have, you say you, I have an email, but I, okay, let's see. Thank you to your guests. What a wonderful show. Please thank your guests for us. Very informative. And what a nice guy. Oh, it's Twinkle. She's so sweet. She really is a lovely human. <laughs> Thanks, Twinkle, for writing in. So, uh, so back to, back to the story. Um, so you, you work with people to develop a business plan. Yes. Is that part of your objective when you they come to your class? Yes. Okay. So basically, I teach them how to organize. First of all, I told them uh, for the most important, so they understand how much 
things cost to produce versus what they can get in the revenue at the end of the day, how you can sell it. I teach them certain ways of marketing their products, mm -hmm. and I also teach them uh, certain ways of the laws and regulations because if you're trying to do something and it goes against the law, then your business is not going to work at the end oh, of the wow. day. So I teach them about laws, regulations. Um, I hadn't uh, thought about that. So, yes. So there's different laws for growing things? Yes, for example, the crop that comes into mind right now, I don't know if you know what industrial hemp is. Yes. So that is the most regulated I crop bet it right is because it could be smokable if it's yes. not the other kind. So the plan has to have specific requirements. And right. if you go against those specific requirements, the government has the authority to just burn your crop. Oh, my gosh. So there's other like palmetto and we'll berries. all stay downwind. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they do. I don't know what they do with the smoke, but they can destroy the crop. Uh, palmetto berries is something else that you need to have a license in order to sell palmetto berries. What is it? Palmetto berries. Palmetto. Yeah, palmetto berries. Oh, the palmetto palm. Yes. yes. Oh. So you need a permit to sell the berries. If you don't have the permit, you cannot Is sell the berries. Is that because that's a protected palm? No, it's just because apparently, according to what other agents have told me, there was a bunch of crimes involving palmetto berries before. So they crimes? make it, they restrict it. Oh, that's so funny. I wonder what the crime was. People just getting into other people's farms, stealing the oh, berries. Oh, they were stealing it. Because as far as I know, and this, I may be not telling the truth over here, but the, the story is that apparently they increased your virility or something. Oh, and people it's were like the them. rhino horn. So, Come on, please give yeah. it up. <laughs> Man, I don't know what's up with that. Exactly. It so there's, me. there's like nursery, you need a license to sell nursery plants and stuff yeah. like that. So depending on what you're going to be doing, there may be some laws. Well, yeah, I mean, in nurseries, I mean, you have restrictions. Yes. You know, you have to have, you have to follow the lineup. It's there for a reason mm -hmm. because there were some problems. Yes. You know, they, they don't make the, the rule unless there was a problem standing before exactly. that. You yes. know, so that makes sense to me. <clears throat> so uh, I was I have this on here uh, about the agencies that help farmers with their finances. Yes. They could probably get grants and things too, right? Yes. So we have multiple different uh, agencies. The problem is that most of the time the farmer is the one that needs to come to them. The agencies are not going to come to you. But uh, we have Fund Services Agency, which is a federal agency. They're part of the USDA, the United Department of Agriculture here in, um, in U.S., uh, so they can help with plenty of different programs. We have the NRCS, which is Natural Resources Conservation Agency. So they're basically a natural resource agency, but they help the farmers. When the farmers are doing any best management practice within their farm that protects the environment, they can apply to different oh, programs. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. So if they're doing something that's positive for the environment, then they can see if they can't get a, a grant or something yes. like that to be able to help them out. And that's a, that's a real thing. Writing a grant is a really a thing. I mean, you really have to know how to do that. So you would need someone like you to be able to direct them to go in that arena. Yes, so NRCS and Fund Service. Is that N? RCS? Yes. Okay. Natural Resources <laughs> cons uh, Conservation Service. Okay. So I, I, I'm sorry. I no, I love things. your accent. It's fantastic. <laughs> so they have agents and the farmers can get with them. They can uh, or, or orientate them in mm -hmm. order for them to know what they can apply because mm -hmm. 
they have multiple programs and then you sit down with them and you see what is the best program for you depending right that fits your your, uh, your idea mm-hmm. of what you're going to do so <clears throat> sorry so they I have need a cough button over there for you <laughs> <laughs> so um for example one that comes in mind they have an irrigation uh program oh. that if you are saving water in your farm they will help you how to develop a good irrigation system that conserves water within the farm. So you could then apply for a grant to be able to install the yes. irrigation program? It, it's like most, a drip irrigation or something like that? Yes, it's mostly oh, a that's program. Fantastic. So you, you apply for it and then an agent for the agency will come to your farm and they will evaluate and they will tell you this. Evaluate. Is, evaluate, yes, yes, thank you. That's it. <laughs> then they will tell you this is how you're going to construct your irrigation right. system, then the farmer pays it, Okay. but then they reimburse you whatever you oh, sign with Oh, because they them. don't want you to go spend the money on something else. Exactly. Okay. Yes. That makes sense. So that's how mostly NRCS work. In IFAS, we're mostly education, uh-huh. but we can help farmers if they need to write a grant. Oh, we can help them to do that as well. That's wonderful because it really isn't an easy thing to do. It's, if yeah. you do not know the hoops to jump through, it's it's really not. But it's fantastic. And you're competing with a lot of people with right. doing grants. So, so you need to write it correctly. That's it. Mm-hmm. You, to, you need to know exactly what to do so it's not going to come back at you. Yep. So uh, this was, I thought, was really interesting uh, that there's different businesses that that can be uh, integrated into their operations. And you want to run through those? I mean, I so, wrote them all down. And I think they're fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so you can be a farmer mm-hmm. and your main business way is going to be growing crops, but you can add agritourism into your farm. So you can have tours inside a farm that you can actually allow people so they can understand a little about agriculture here in Florida, mm-hmm. local production, and some of the different problems here in Florida, like weather, uh, pests and other stuff. And then you can just create the, uh, increase the awareness of the importance of agriculture with agritourism. I love that. So then they would set it up to where people would be able to pay to be able to go over to do some sort of a tour. And yes. they could even do classes. Yes, that exactly. That sort of thing. So part of the tours, you can add an educational component into that tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, I don't want to promote anybody, but uh, here in Port County, we have wrote... Um, uh, let's not say name, but there's a citrus farm <laughs> that you can go there. They will give you a tour. And within that tour, they will tell you history about citrus production in Florida. It's okay. What's the name of it? Uh, Rich Island Grove. <laughs> what, what is it? Rich Island Grove. Rich? Yes. Island Grove. Grove. Okay. So you want to know about citrus? Yeah. Not to say they're better or worse. Yeah. We're just saying that if you're interested in going on some type of an agritour about citrus, yes. then go for that. Yeah. They do tours and they explain. Uh, and not just them. There's plenty of other yeah. places Right. You would just probably thing. put that into Mr. Google. Yeah. I went, go. I'm just mentioning because I went there with my parents not that long ago. So. Oh, very good. <laughs> That's nice. Um, and then uh, UPIX uh, right. is part of agritourism. That's when farmers open their farms for people to go and then pick their own berries oh, and yeah. fruits and stuff like that. Peaches, uh, blueberries, Peaches. strawberries. Yes. I've done uh, picking uh, sunflowers. Yes. Uh, it was wonderful. 
So that's basically just another way of farmers to just yeah. increase the revenue, just adding other type of I have structures. something, it's like B&B. Is that bed and breakfast? Is just that... bed and breakfast. So people would then stay there? Yes. Obviously, if you have a bed and breakfast between your farms, you need to go into all the laws and regulations between hotels and stuff like that. Oh, okay. But yes, you can have a bed and breakfast on your farm as long as you have all the requirements required by law. Then yes, you can have that. And then... A lot of farms have great scenery. Yes, um, it's beautiful. People miss that. Um, there's a market for people that want to stay in a place very close to the environment. So farms can provide that. You know, I'm um, having a custom camper made and I'm moving into that. And I'm, yeah, I am. I know people go, what? <laughs> but that's what I'm doing. I'm also going to build a small house, a tiny house somewhere else later. Yeah. But but I am moving into that. And one of the things I've noticed that a lot of people are doing is they are parking in different scenic areas. And that would be a fantastic thing for a farmer to mm -hmm. be able to set up for people that have, like I, um, mine's going to be a towing uh, scamp camper, but that or, uh, you know, RV, uh, that sort of situation that they could come and stay there for a day or a week or, you know, something like that. Imagine staying in by the sunflower field. Wouldn't it be great <laughs> wake to up, wake yeah. up to that? Or, you know, you wake up to the rooster's I mean, I just think it's a wonderful idea. Uh, I, you know, that's that could be a great addition. And if, for example, if you don't have the capital to actually build a bed and breakfast in your farm, you, you can just open a picnic area and right. then just allow people to stay a couple of hours uh, and then that's going to be your business. Just have right. your crops and also a picnic area that people can visit you and have a nice time. You know, when I went to the place that had this, the sunflowers, they also had like vendors uh, over closer, you know, over by the house, really. <clears throat> and then they had people that were selling uh, strawberries or tomatoes or baked goods or whatever it was. They had a lot of things. And I bought a lot of stuff when I was there. <clears throat> and that would be nice if mm -hmm. they sell sandwiches. Then you could just sit and be there uh, with your kids, yeah. you know, because they're they they need to be outside and playing around and stuff. Yeah, as long as you follow all the rules and regulations, mm -hmm. basically, agritourism at the end of the day cannot be uh, prohibited by the government. As long as you follow all the rules, then every farmers can integrate any kind of agritourism activity within their farms. Okay. We have a caller, and it's from uh, Scott from Reddington Shores, and he has a, a comment about the saw palmetto. Scott, are you on the air now? Can yeah. you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I am, Drew. Yeah, I just I was riding down the road. You're talking about the saw palmetto bear? Yes. What that's about is, is that saw palmetto lowers DHT, and that's what causes male pattern baldness. It's something like dehydrotestosterone, a big long word. Uh -huh. And it also it also shrinks the prostate. It's not it's not for a for a sexual aphrodisiac or something. That's not what it's for. Although it may improve as your prostate gets better, you know. Right, and you're happier better. about it. Okay. Well, and like and like they have a, 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 a the drug they get for hair loss is called finiseride, and that can permanently damage your, your for the rest of your life. You know, your sex organs and everything else. Really. It oh, helps your hair grow, but it ruins your sex life? Uh, yeah, and, and saw palmetto w works better for shrinking the prostate and no side effects and helps with male pattern baldness. But, well, does but, it help with women pattern baldness? Does it help your hair grow? I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if women have, have DHT or if it's caused by the same reason. It's got to be some sort of hormonal thing, I would imagine. Yeah. You can look in. But the thing about saw palmetto and the crime part of it, 
Uh-huh. It's it, because it's becoming so rare, it's being sold as supplements, you know, over the counter. Oh. So people are just using them up everywhere. You know, this particular type of a palm, you know, it's real valuable for that reason. And, okay. and that's something that people are planting the saw palmetto. Is that yeah, yeah, something well, that in Florida? Yeah, yeah, it even grows in Florida. I don't, I don't know exactly which palm tree it is, but I got to look at mine. Those are magnifying glass or something. But <laughs> <laughs> sorry. It might be a little late for me anyway. Well, it's never too late, you know. Right, right. Well, I'm still casting a shadow. so That's, that's right. You're still breathing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to tell you that because I happen to, I've studied supplements for years. I just finished listening to Dr. Harvey. I know I've been studying nutrition for 50 years. So anyway. So well, thank you. That was a great uh, call. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you need to say? No, I've been listening to the station since 1979. Well, we like that. Yeah, yeah. We hope you contribute, too, because that's what keeps us alive. Yeah, I do. Good, good. (laughs) Thanks, Scott. All right, see you, dear. Bye-bye. Appreciate you. Bye-bye. That's good. I didn't even know that. That was. That's great. Saw Palmetto. Yeah, I remember hearing it now. Now that he's mentioning it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. (laughs) <laughs> That's great. That's great. We're getting uh, we're getting closer to uh, our time, but let's see. Um, you know, the other thing I was thinking about that wasn't on there is like internship. People could do an internship on that, right? Yes. Um, for the most part, it's students uh, that they're working on the university. They can do internship with us, and then one of the agents will basically. And I know that Andrea has many interns interns before uh, from the university, so they can do. Uh, work with us, follow us, and learn what we do. Uh, but our office is also open. So if, you, if a person wants to come to office and get some kind of whatever information that we have there, farming, uh, healthy living, natural resources, uh, then they can get that information from us. And if we don't know it, we will find it. Well, that's the thing. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, just give me a minute. I'll look it up, yes. you know, kind of a thing. Exactly. Because that's, you know, the beauty of it all is that we all are learning. Yes. You know, like when we were talking about some things earlier on, we're like, well, let me look it up on my phone. Yeah. Okay. Clarify. Yes. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Was there anything else that you guys think that we needed to uh, talk about? Oh, one thing I did, we did want to talk about a little bit about the pest control. Mm. Right. You know, I don't believe in any of that stuff. <laughs> but but he does specialize that. We only have a little bit left in time. But you do some things with to control pests, not particularly the, my interest with chemicals, but you do things with traps, barriers, physical removal of the pests, natural enemies, and uh, both conventional and organic. So I'd like to hear just a little bit, just a few minutes. Just really fast. A couple what I of do. minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, basically, when I teach about pesticides, uh, I mostly teach about everything, not just the pesticide, but mostly all methods of control the pest. So that involves uh, integrated pest management. We, we, we call it IPM by short. So uh, integrated pest management means everything that you can use in order to control the pest. Not just the pesticides, but uh, physical control, mechanical control, traps, is, traps yeah. uh, barriers, electric fences, electric fences in terms of wild animals and right. stuff like that. Um, so when I teach my courses, it's because Florida is one of the most regulated uh, states in pest control, in pesticides. So uh, we have more than 30 different types of licenses. It all depends on what you're doing, where you're spraying. Um, so one of the things that we teach then, yes, you can use the pesticide. but Not you, will, you can't. 
<laughs> but you just use what you need to use. You're gonna use more, and then uh, a lot of people don't understand. There's also organic pesticides. So right, BTS and stuff like that. So if you go to uh, the pesticide and it says Onri, Onri means Organic Material uh, Review Institute. Right. If they have that logo, right. they're organic. There's pesticide. a lot of there. There's that, but mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, there's not like a fine line for you know yeah. about that. We have an uh, email and we call. We have three minutes, so let's right. see. Uh, our email was you mentioned staying on farms with a camper. Uh, that's from Patricia. Uh, there's a service called Hip. Camp H I P C A M P, where you can do that. Stayed on a couple of farms, and it was very basic, but nice. The ones I have stayed at. Well, thank you, Patricia. I appreciate that because um, I think that's a wonderful way to go. Bruce is on the line. I'm going to take a one minute phone call from Bruce. Well, Bruce, what you got? Hey, there's also a website called HelpX.net. How do you spell that? H E L P dot N E T. Okay. They do a trade labor for people that are migratory that, and need a place to stay, and you make arrangements according to whether you have your own RV or a tent. Very good. Uh, Is that what you but, needed um, to call about? Was there anything else? The other question was the word farm. In the county, it says, uh, I believe here, five acres is a farm. So what about the possibility of creating a new uh, distinction called mini farms? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe, okay, that's it. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate it. I wish you'd call a little earlier. We could have chatted a long time. Okie dokie. <laughs> Next Take time. Care. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. So we are just about out of time. So is there anything else that you need to say? I'm delighted that y'all were here. Oh, you have something? Just Liz? one thing. Uh, if you want to know specific requirements for farming, just go to at least in Paul County. Every county will have their own, but Paul County Agricultural Guidelines. You can Google that. And it will tell you specifically what you need as a minimum. Can you repeat that, English uh, English speaking woman? <laughs> I was just going to say something about Eventbrite. Quick, that's where we have our classes yes. okay. and stuff. So yes. that was the other thing. But I missed what you said, Luis. Uh, Paul County Agricultural Guidelines. Polk County Agricultural Guidelines. Yes. And he said it so much more beautiful than I did. But thank you. I appreciate you. So, uh, so basically, uh, we're, we're, about, we're done here. <clears throat> uh, so make sure you tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living show. Kenny will be back, and we'll be talking with Rebecca Zarger, Sean Laundrie about the, key, the tree canopy or loss of it. This is going to be a very interesting show. They are, uh, the city has uh, promised us years and years ago that they would go back and do uh, an oversee of what the tree canopy is and how we're losing it, because we are. And so I'll be interested in seeing that about the urban forest. And uh, just go uh, to Sustainable Living uh, on our Facebook page and go to Listen on Demand if you want to listen to this again. I'm Annie Ellis. Remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. Bye-bye. WMNF, Tampa, 88.5.